Hello and welcome to my office. I'm Carrie Lorenz. Thanks for joining me in conversations with fearless leaders from around the world to discuss the mechanics of high performance, success, and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge, inform, and even inspire you to move fearlessly and with kindness to higher levels of performance and to go further faster. And that conversation starts right now. Adrian Bankert steps into my office this week. Adrian is an Emmy-winning journalist who you've seen on ABC News and even Good Morning America. She's currently the host of Morning in America on News Nation and the author of the book, Your Hidden Superpower, The Kindness That Makes You Unbeatable at Work and Connects You with Anyone. Adrian, welcome to my office. Oh, thank you, Carrie. I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> oh, yes, and yours as well. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I am super excited for you to join us today. And uh, before we get into your illustrious career and so much to talk about there in television, I really wanted to start really by talking to you about your hidden superpower. How yes. did you realize that kindness is a superpower? Well, it's interesting because now that I'm where I am in my career today, if I look back and I think about the hallmarks in my life, the, the moments where it made no sense, uh, maybe to be so intentional about kindness, now I understand. It's like, aha, my eyes are opened. I just recently had a conversation with someone in the business and they actually were saying how years ago, when they were much younger, they were a superstar. They, their career was rocketing and they were a real jerk. And um, they were mean and they played politics and they played the game. And years later, all these years later, they can look back. They had people in their life who loved them enough to tell them the truth that they were being a jerk. And they changed their ways. They had some kids. They feel bad about the person that they were at the beginning. And I, I said to them, I said, do you forgive yourself? And they said, well, I mean, I feel bad. And I said, well, you feeling bad isn't going to help anything. I said, you're not the same person anymore. You've grown up, you know, you've matured. And uh, they said, thank you for saying that. I think that um, the first person that gets credit for the book is my mentor who wrote the foreword, who told me that I should write a book on kindness. Then I can just look back and see that it was in a plan, like a covert plan to bring out the best me. And um, I think no matter what industry you're in, you can become one of two things. You know, you can become... Uh, this person who wants to win at all costs mm -hmm. and you can be, or you can become somebody who's really ambitious but also very uh, present and engaged with people and engaged with relationships and knows the collateral of relationships isn't just transactional and so i think um me being in journalism specifically and being a storyteller and leaning into people's stories made me realize that i could either become a mini version of somebody else i saw on tv which wouldn't necessarily be my best self, it would be imitation, or I could be who I really am. And the light switch came on and as I was writing this book and it was, oh my gosh, when you're kind, that like flips on authenticity. That's what I'll do. That's gonna be my interview technique. And so um, it really has spread to other aspects of my life. Well, so I have your book right in front of me. And yeah, yeah. Um, one of the unfortunate habits I think I've picked up uh, since I've left school actually is I dog ear all my pages, which I never used to do in college. So um, 
This is heavily dog-eared, for which I apologize to the <laughs> inner librarian and you. Um, but one good. of the stories that you actually shared in the book as well was, um, it was a story of your old boss who told you, and I this just kind of resonated with me, I can teach you how to be a better writer or a better reporter, but mm -hmm. I can't teach nice. Right. Well, it was interesting because I, I've never applied for one job I've ever had. Never once have I submitted an application to get a job. I have always been referred or somebody called me and that's remarkable. Again, I've submitted things. I've submitted myself for different things, but the jobs that I've had where I booked them were a result of people knowing me, my reputation, or people giving me a big break in the very, very beginning. And so that particular boss was referred to me by a woman who'd known me my whole career. This woman had never met me before when she told me that statement that you just quoted. She'd never seen me in person. She called me up and she said, looking at your resume, you don't have enough experience uh, for what I wanna do, but I can teach you how to be a better reporter. I can teach you how to be a better writer, but I can't teach nice. And we need more of that in our business. And so she gave me the shot based on what another person said about me. And I think that in and of itself will make an argument for kindness because it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's what people say about you when you've left a job. It's what people say about you when you are applying for a job or looking for something. I was looking, you know, I contacted this woman who happens to be a headhunter or um, talent seeker. I don't know what the right word is right now. And she said, you know what, I'm going to make a phone call on your behalf. And she told that woman who was my boss later, you need to work with Adrian. So, and it was only based on my reputation for not gossiping and not being a jerk. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that I haven't had jerky moments, but <laughs> sure. Or that you don't feel like that on the inside, right. that hot burning oh my rage. Gosh. Please. Right? Yes. And, and to be clear, you are in an industry that is not known for, for people being kind. It is known, you know, you look at the, uh, that talent industry and even, you know, whether it's acting or the creative space oftentimes can be very very cutthroat. So how do you then, you have this a bit of an aha moment, if you will, how do you continue to choose kindness in an industry that is not known for that on those days or those times that you don't feel like it? Well, I think that all of us confront those feelings. I mean, I think about people who are in any high stress industry, it can be law, it can be teaching, it can be, um, you know, pharmaceutical sales, you know, it could be anything. I think mine is just more visual. You know, if we put cameras right. in the offices of any industry, y'all would have as much drama in any industry as we do. It's just that we actually are portrayed <laughs> <laughs> on screen. I'm fully convinced of it. Um, if everybody decided to record their coworkers on their cell phones, we would have some really good television. I think the choice is having those triggers, having those um, remembrances. I, I just did a keynote uh, last night and so I showed people my phone. This is one of my phones. And I don't know if you can see that, but oh, on sure, my phone, sure. I have yeah. the slogan, hot mic. Hot mic. And oh, yeah. <laughs> that's something I write about in the book. But it's, it's my reminder that anything I say can be taken out of context, depending upon who's hearing it and how I'm saying it. And so, um, or could be recorded because every single person has a camera in their pocket or a, a voice recorder. And we've had hot mics from presidents to um, on-air people. We've seen hot mic moments and they're not cute. They're not pretty. No, so, no. you know what I mean? It's almost like my own scared straight thing, like without the mm -hmm. fear. Like I don't wanna walk around on eggshells with people cause that's not authentic. I don't wanna say like, I'm so kind and you know, just 
get along with everyone and we're all gonna be just perfect. I don't I don't portray that. I'm the oldest of seven kids. Like sometimes you just gotta get really real. But um and sometimes there's tension and sometimes there's a lot of conflict. But it's how I decide to respond to it. It's how I remember this is my reminder, hot mic, mm -hmm. that anything do I want to be remembered that way? Mm -hmm. Do I want to be remembered in my best self or do I want to be remembered in my basic self? I love that. You know, we in aviation uh, have those same issues where your microphone can stick and you'll hear people. And once you do that, once your mic is live, it jams the communications. So all mm -hmm. of a sudden you'll hear, you know, maybe 40 people yelling, hot mic, hot mic, hot mic, or stuck mic because they're having a conversation. Wow or talking to themselves that they don't think is going out to all of air traffic control or, that's or the cool, entire working area. Whoa, right? that's an interesting, I didn't know that. But but so mm -hmm. you're saying that the other pilots or the other like transmission people will say to them, stop talking, hot mic. Yeah, so yeah, so we say hot mic, hot mic, hot mic, that's or stuck funny. mic, stuck mic. So, cause you're trying to stop that communication because you don't know when, when you're the one broadcasting unintentionally that you wow. are so that I loved that and I love that you have it as your screensaver too that's that's uh that's pretty powerful on the home screen for sure what a great reminder well I like what you just said I'm going to save that story too <laughs> we should all we should all be kind enough to remind our friends and our coworkers when they're saying something that means like they're going to put their foot in their mouth hot mic hot mic hot mic <laughs> yes and it's one of the only times it's 100% okay to interrupt yeah, because otherwise, you, I mean, you think you're cutting somebody off and it's being rude, but it's like, no, I'm trying to save your bacon. Like, yes, maybe you're saying yes. a little too much truth right now. It's not that you're bad, but just maybe you don't want the world to know. Yeah, and it's a great way kind of to even, it can diffuse a situation or if you hear it, because 100% hand over heart, I can promise you when that's happening and everybody else hears somebody saying, hot mic, hot mic, it makes everybody's heart rate just a little heart rate just a little bit because you're like, oh, oh, oh that did your heart rate been? rise when you saw my phone? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I feel like I need to even change my home screen. It's just oh, it's, it's beautiful. It helps beautiful. because the world we're living in, you can't just say mm -hmm. whatever you feel, and you and you don't want to. You know, you want to have some mm -hmm. something sacred. Well, but that's that's that piece of it as well. And you you touched on it a little bit is understanding the difference in being authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this before where I, I phrase it uh, more crudely, I think, than you you address this topic that I tell people, I think what what's happening too often is uh, that people internalize being authentic as meaning it's okay to be a jack wagon, right? A and, jack wagon, I love that. Yeah. That's so cute. And, I'm gonna use that too. <laughs> a jack wagon. That's, that's right. Again, not a professional <laughs> term, but one that's relatable. Um yeah. but but that's not it. And it's finding that space between being vulnerable enough, right, to show up as you really are, which again, vulnerability also can be construed as a four-letter word. And yes. I think, and in, in, in you've addressed this as well, that there can be this, um, this disconnect or even a misperception between if somebody's being kind, that mm -hmm. that can actually be, and I've found this personally even, interpreted as you're going to be a pushover. Right. Yeah. Like you can just walk all over me. I mean, really, this is, it's so funny because when people, oh, you wrote a book on kindness, immediately, I think they make a judgment. 
on you. Mm -hmm. And and I've had mm -hmm. people when he, I even was pitching the book, it was like, well, you know, that's sweet. But yes. they didn't really buy in to the fact that kindness could be a powerful force. They just went along with it, but I knew what they were mm -hmm. thinking. So we'd have a dialogue about it. I'm like, listen, this is not your mama or your grandmama's version of kindness that I'm saying. I'm not just teaching etiquette. I'm not just proclaiming that we right. need to be sweet to each other all the time and never tell each other the truth and always people please. Like that is not, and I'm not saying that that's true kindness or that our grandmothers didn't know what kindness was. It's just that I think that there are people who we've listened to over the years who insisted that we treat people well, like the golden rule, but there wasn't a focus on it. It was just like, you better, you know better, you know better, do the right thing, you know better. Being polite is one thing, but being kind and engaged and authentic is a whole nother thing. And it takes a lot more intentionality than just having good manners. Absolutely. And it's not even, I think, so much of us think we, or so many of us think that we can get a, uh, a gold star if, yeah. Look at how kind I am sure. because I just flipped my phone over at lunch. Like, yes, <laughs> I should get a treat. Right? I flipped like my I'm, phone I'm over. I'm a good person. I mean, and again, I, I think that we we sometimes are too hard on ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We're a little bit um, our worst critic. Um, mm -hmm. But I think we should, you know, think about the kind of person we want to be. Like, what do we desire? Just like what we have on our vision board usually entails something mm -hmm. that is very tangible. You know, like I want this jewelry. I want this job. I want this car. I want this kind of house. I want to wear this wedding dress. You know, I I realized in in my writing journey that we don't put a vision for the kind of character we want all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't put mm -hmm. a vision for the development we want. We think that we have it figured out at 23 and that's just not true. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And I, I mean, I've got kids that are right around that age too. And I think they are even feeling like right now, this extreme pressure of uh, who they're supposed to be and having it all figured out when yeah. there, there are so many examples right now that, um, and again, I, I toss this over the fence to you because, because you actually talk about this much more articulately See, I can't even say the word right now. Articulate. You, yeah, articulately. <laughs> that I'm not even sure that that's actually a word. <laughs> Truth I think be told, you're right. That was a beautiful I know. Word. We're, we're going to go with that is a word. I just <laughs> verbed it. Um, but about this this idea of, you know, instead of instead of looking so far into the future or, or thinking what it is you want to become is mm -hmm. who is it that you actually want to be, yeah. right? Yeah. And you've worn so many hats. You've been a news anchor, right? You've been a reporter, you're an author now, you're a speaker. And I've heard you call yourself a tour guide. Yes. But what, like, what do you mean by that? So now you're a tour guide too? Like, is there anything you can't do or you don't oh, do? Yeah, plenty. <laughs> I mean, I met some people today who started a bread company um, in the pandemic and now their company has uh, been evaluated to be worth, you know, millions of dollars. And I'm thinking I should have gotten to sliced bread. That's what I should have been doing. Um, <laughs> I need so much. I need so much bread during the first part, the first phase of the pandemic. <laughs> I, probably a million dollars worth myself. You know, actually. carbohydrates are fine. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a big. They are your person. friend. Yes, yes. I, I enjoy them. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that tour guiding is my, um, my title for a real mentor. We, we sometimes mm -hmm. take mentoring and we make it so oversimplified. You know, it's not just somebody who just talks to you and gives you advice. It's somebody who listens and invests in your dream as if it was their own. It's somebody who um, points you towards a path that you desire, 
with the information and the intel that they've acquired so that you can avoid some of the pitfalls that come commonly to trying to figure life out on your own, which all of us have tried to figure out life on our own and it's whack. So I think that tour guidance is um, a better term than mentor. I think it helps people, you know, anytime you go to another country and you have a tour guide, you have somebody who's a translator, they know the terrain, they know where the spots are, they know where the best food is. It's like, why not treat life like that? Because everybody who's older than you, who's more experienced than you has gone through things. And it's like, we say, oh, well, no, I've got to figure this out on my own. I'm like, do you know that life is way more important than a vacation? Like what you choose to do when you are this age is going to impact you 10 and 20 down years down the road. And I mean, again, it's like, you think, you know, and I remember I tell people now, it's like when I was in my early twenties and getting into the business, I was like, I am so good at this job. Like I am so meant to do this. I'm so great. Like, and I wasn't pompous, but I really believed in myself. And I think I needed that youthful confidence and yeah. tenacity, but I was completely blinded to the fact that anybody who helped me was not helping me because I was you know, really talented. They were helping me because they really were invested in helping young people or they really wanted to give this kid a break. And I think that um, we have to remember that, that when you're young, you really think that you're the only one that's gone through this or wants this thing or should get it when there's a whole lot of people who want to get it. But the ones who get there are the people who come under the wing oftentimes of someone else who is willing to guide or assist or invest in their life. So is there anything I can't do? That's a that's a mixed bag because I'm sure that I could do anything I wanted if I had the right tour guide. Oh gosh, I love that. And I you know, I love that phrase or that term too because just like you said, uh, you know, and I work in the corporate space and the professional space with training and keynotes and all that good stuff, but that the word or the phrase mentor or you see, you know, corporations, organizations trying to stand up a mentoring program mm -hmm. and everybody brings their own personal baggage, I think, to what that actually means. Yes. And even how encumbering that relationship could be like, OK, what's going to be the onboarding process and are we going to get assigned to somebody? And is it going to be this? Right. And then it never gets off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> right? And nobody and, wants to do it by then because they're just like, oh, the onboarding process is so complicated. Right. And it just, and it somehow then it gets shunted off into the corner of a list of another thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Instead of maybe how could you guide somebody? That's a piece I, I love that language, even thinking about it a little bit differently um, about being a tour guide instead of even maybe considering the mentoring part. So, you've had such great success in your career as a journalist how did you get into that you, you said that you you felt very comfortable doing it originally but is it something that you always dreamed about where you when you tell the story do you tell people oh yeah i always knew i wanted to do that ever since i was a little girl and then they sit there and look at you and awe and go well that's awesome for you mm -hmm. but i didn't get my stuff figured out when i was a little kid so yeah how did it work for you I learned that later. I learned that later. It's funny mm. that you mentioned that. I didn't know until I was very much a grown up that other people didn't have that same experience. I mean, there are people who are like me. And it was funny enough, I would meet people who were like four or two when they like figured out what they wanted to do. I mean, I would meet the smallest kids who would know they want to do and then they grow up and they do it. Um, or, you know, I'd meet people who are in their 50s who are like, here's a picture of me with a microphone in my hand and I'm in diapers. And then like, Okay, that has definitely made an impression on my life. I was between nine and 12 years old 
when I knew that I was going to do television. I, I didn't know it intellectually. I mean, it probably made absolutely no sense. I'm one of seven kids from a single parent mm -hmm. home. We had no connections in television, but I was watching TV one day and I said, I'm going to do that. I could do that. That looks easy. And I mean, I was a kid. What am I thinking? But it was only a short amount of time, 12 years later, that I actually did start working in television. Uh, so I think it's pretty phenomenal. I, I have theories around children and their development and when they're giving clues for their destiny and all that. We won't have to get into that today. But I got into it because I really just abandoned all distractions because I was really mm -hmm. frustrated after college. I had hosted a talk show in college and actually had hosted like two or three. And I, my biggest interview was interviewing George Lucas, which was huge. I mean, great connections at my school, but I didn't have a job. So I started to host a uh, children's television program right after college because of a connection from USC, the University of Southern California. And so, and that was already an amazing connection. So I had my own hair, makeup, crew every single month. And it gave me such a vision for how life was going to look. I was the host, you know, solo host did fun things, toured all over Los Angeles. I'm like, this is exactly what I meant for. The only problem is I was doing it once a month, so I couldn't afford mm -hmm. to eat. So right. um, I did well, that. Well, well challenge, <laughs> but, um, well barrier. You know, you know, so um, I auditioned and I, I tried and I, I met people and people would say, oh, we love you and then never hire me. And I was really working in the entertainment space. So finally it was like, okay, maybe I'm not meant to do entertainment. Maybe I'm meant to do like actual journalism. And, uh, I ended up going to a journalism convention where I met uh, the gentleman who gave me my first break. They looked at my resume and said, does your mom still live in Sacramento? We have a job opening in Sacramento. And I said, yes, she does. And so that's how I got into the business, but it took me development. It took me people finding me. So the next job was somebody calling and saying, are you under contract? going there. The next job was me saying no to a primetime anchor position, which would have been a great next step, but I so wanted to be on national TV. So I went to LA. I went to LA for a short amount of time. And then I went to New York. The deal fell through, had to do all kinds of mess. It was a long story. Got on national TV, traveled all over the world, quick rise through the company. And then um, I was offered the opportunity to audition for the show that I have now which is uh, on News Nation, Morning in America, and host my own morning show for three hours straight live. And it is a heavy lift, but it's wonderful. And I say heavy lift because of all the different pieces. To me, being on TV is the easiest part. Being on TV and looking engaged and being engaged is the easiest part because again, I was nine. I, I was like, I could do that. So I've had it inside of me. I think those things that are inside of you that just remain make things so simple but it's all the people skills, all the balancing mm. of stories, all the writing, all mm. the prepping for interviews, which I might do nine interviews in a three hour time span or more. Right. I think today I had more. So that's the very short version of my journey. And um, yeah, it was a lot of people saying, I'm gonna take a shot on you. Well, so it's, it's interesting because for, and again, you've got what now from the outside looks like a really glamorous position where, oh gosh, it sounds like that was really easy. Like you just kind of stepped your way up, right? Like moved to this market and then did that market and checked it off, checked it off. But, but I'm sure that it probably wasn't exactly like that. What role do you think failure actually had in that journey? 
Failure makes your life interesting. I always tell people like you dread mistakes and I still don't particularly like making them. But what I've learned is it makes your life look so much more exciting than it would be if you did everything perfect. If you do everything perfect and you have no bumps in the road, do you want to watch a movie where the heroine or the hero is always perfect and always doing mm -hmm. everything? I mean, even James Bond, which I've never seen a full James Bond movie, don't judge. Um, but I've never seen a full James Bond movie in its entirety. But I know that he goes through times when he gets knocked around and his car gets blown up or shot at and he recovers. And it's the excitement of the recovery. For me, um, I'll tell you what one thing that was easy. It was easy to jump from local market to local market. There was no real hardship when I was working in my hometown. It was, I was around people who knew me. I worked morning and night, which was very hard. I was late for my first mm -hmm. time on air because I overslept for my second shift because it was every morning and every night. It was like 2.30 a.m. till nine or like four to nine. And then I, I want to say it was like three to nine and then like 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. It was just a crazy shift, weird, for two years. That was hard. <laughs> that was not easy. But knowing, having the confidence to go from Sacramento to Dallas to Los Angeles, that was not hard to wrap my brain around. But to go from local news to the national level was like jumping over the Atlantic Ocean. And it's a whole nother world and it's a whole nother level of, of challenge and very few people attain it. And when, right. you, when right. you do, you know, it's, it's remarkable and it's, um, it's fantastic, but I never worked so hard. I've never stretched myself. I've never dealt with so much change. I would often have to be given like 30 to an hour notice. Um, you're gonna get on a plane. We have a flight booked for you. Can you get to the airport in 45 minutes? It's like in New York City. It's like, yep. And you were expected to have a bag ready, packed already, get yourself out there. You cannot miss this flight. Can you go to Thailand from Hong Kong? Absolutely. What's the weather gonna be like? Well, you're gonna need boots because we just don't know what the train's like. It could be muddy. You know, you're going from a Dwayne Johnson interview, The Rock, um, to uh, covering the story of boys trapped in a cave, which could be muddy. And you know your colleagues are dealing with mud, but uh, thankfully I didn't have to trudge through the mud too much. I was more in front of a hospital, but it's just like, okay, can you do this? Can you stay? Can you, mm -hmm. we just need you to stay one more night. You know, you might not know the language. Uh, can you cover this business story while you're covering this entertainment story and being able to wear the different hats? It was uh, being ready to moment's notice and being flexible, but that helped me to be able to be ambidextrous in my career and not pigeonholed ever. The failure part that you asked about, I think it's really important for people to know, like don't see it as failure, see it as learning and see it as strengthening. You will fall, but not fail. There, you mm -hmm. will fall, like it's inevitable. We all do, but you don't necessarily have to fail. So do you think one of the advantages, and I'd be curious to know if it was uh, maybe the way your family dynamic was, or because you were having to deal with so much change all the time in high pressure and visible situations where um, we've all seen outtakes where where maybe people have kind of lost their composure or or their ability to focus on what it is they're trying to say in an interview. but. Do you ever have any negative self-talk or those self-doubts? Do, do you have a mantra, like a personal mantra that you go to, to reground or reframe what I like to call suboptimal situations? Because so, to me, it sounds funny, even though it's a really bad situation, right? It's just suboptimal. Suboptimal. It's kind of like when I say I don't have stalkers, I just have over-enthusiastic fans. Exactly. Okay. Yes. 
All right. Um, yeah. So I would say, and I mean that with all humility, I would say, um, mm-hmm. see, I don't feel like I lose composure in interviews because I make them conversations. And I think if you know how to have a conversation, then you're fine. Like I tell people constantly, it's not my job to sit in front of a camera and say everything perfectly and not miss a word. Like that does not freak me out or stress me out. Just this is the first like you're talking to me after just our first days on air for my new morning show with a new crew in a new city with three hours of content versus a three minute report that I, I might give. On totally different on game. Morning America. Yeah. And yeah. then I've done lots of anchoring. So it's not yeah. that I've never done it. It's just, it's another world when you're solo anchoring. It does not make me scared at all. I can't think of a time recently that I've lost my composure in an interview. I think what, I would say my mantra is, is for me not to lose my cool when I see things not go right. Because that's a bigger deal to me when I know something wasn't written the way that I want it to be written. I didn't have a chance to catch it because I could not possibly write all my scripts. I rely and partner with all the people who work with me. I think it's when you're having a conversation with someone and you can tell that they're saying things that you almost want to call them out on. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. But you know that it's wiser to just listen to them and to hold your peace, so to speak, and process that on your own. And if you need to revisit the conversation to do so, I think that it's about knowing that you're in the right place at the right time for the right things, for the right reasons, with the right people, which always equals the right results. That's one mantra. Um, I also have been saying this year that everything that belongs to me, every talent, every resource, every support, every person that belongs to me and belongs to my life that I need to fulfill my destiny comes to me now and I will not reject anyone or anything that belongs to me. And I've been saying that. Um, have I had mistakes happen on air? Oh yeah, even this week. Was there something that happened that made you, maybe it was even something external to you or judgment that somebody passed that made you doubt yourself that when you were in the midst of it, you were like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is, this is not what I thought this was going to be. This was my dream job and this was not what I thought it was gonna be. You have, you have those moments for sure. And it's usually when you're not on camera. It's not when you're in the mm-hmm. moment, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, if you're a pilot, you're flying and you love flying and you're doing that. It's all the external pressures around you that have almost nothing to do with the gift that you've been given that helps you do the job easier. I hope that makes yes. sense. Cause I don't want to make it sound like, oh no, everything's fine. And I never doubt myself uh, because that would be a lie. I think it's more doubting that I am capable of handling all of the weight of what it means. Cause you think, again, you think you know what it means to do your dream. And then you find out it means a whole lot more. And you're, and then you think you're paying the price or paying your dues. And then you find out you got to pay your dues again. I've paid my dues so many times. I mean, you think you're going to pay your dues once and then you're skating and it's like, no, honey, you think you reach a certain level and then it becomes like, Oh, everyone enjoys this and they all want to (laughs) help. But no, honey, like get real. And it's like, I don't know if I want to pay this high a price. Like for real, I don't know. So it's just reminding yourself, like, are you really supposed to do this? If you're supposed to do this, then by any means necessary. And here's where I'll tell you the lesson that I learned. When I was in between contract negotiations at one point in my career and some negotiations fell through, I doubted myself so bad. I mean, I was so depressed. Because I was like, I must have been completely wrong about wanting to do this TV thing. This thing was stupid. I will go into PR or I will go into marketing and advertising because I've always liked to do that kind of stuff. So I'll just do that. Like, forget TV. Like, no, this was stupid. And um, my mentor, my tour guide said to me, 
Adrian, I do not care if you have to flip cheeseburgers. I don't care if you have to go sell pencils on a street corner. If this is your dream and this is your purpose, then you go for it. And I wanted to be like, are you crazy? I shouldn't have to sell pencils. I shouldn't have to flip burgers. Mm-hmm. I am a seasoned professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have already done A, B, C, mm-hmm. D, and E. Do you want to see? And it's like, as if they don't know my resume and haven't helped me. Mm-hmm. But you have to have people in your corner who are ready to kind of s- smack you to reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes gently and sometimes not so gently to remind you of what you said you wanted because you have to be willing to pay any price and do it by any means necessary in order to get what that's it's like childbirth i've never physically given birth to a child you can't stop that thing <laughs> that baby's coming out of you no matter what there's no in between zone there's no like hold on doctor right. i don't feel like right. it and i off my mother had seven children She's one of nine. And she would say, oh, childbirth's easy, Adrian." And I'm thinking, uh, what? Like, I would say, what, mom? Like, seriously? People are screaming. I hear crying. Like, because I would go to the hospital and visit her when my baby brothers or sisters would be born. You cannot stop that train. And so I think, okay, even though I'm not physically giving birth to a baby, I know that I'm physically giving birth to this dream. And I have to push. I have to move forward. There is no turning back now. The baby's already in the birth canal. And again, I, I forgive me if I'm offending anybody by not knowing the exact science of childbirth. However, I think you understand what my point is. <laughs> that baby starts to go into a certain position and there's no turning back. And so I had to buy into my dream at that high level. I don't doubt myself anymore after winning that victory over doubt because I know, but there are times when it tries to creep back on you and you have to literally be reminded by yourself, by your mantra, by your mentor that you can't turn back. This is what you were meant to do. That was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, it was an it was an awesome answer. But you know, then I think about where where you are right now, and you're starting this new chapter again, and it's going to be amazing. And you, it's already amazing, and you have this great new team, and even a higher level of both visibility, uh, responsibility, leadership. Yeah. How do you work with this new team? Maybe even thinking about how to navigate those new relationships when people are coming from so many different situations right now where many of them are probably really fatigued and they're mm-hmm. concerned about uncertainty and you know what, are, are you gonna work out? Is, it, is this gonna be a thing? Are you still gonna be here a year from now, right? Like you've got a lot of responsibility in all of that now in this new role. So how, when you're showing up or when you are leading by example, how are you helping them and even yourself in, in a world right now that has, has a lot of negativity, it has a lot of uncertainty uh, surrounding everything we're touching? Well, I think that I'm conscious of it, first of all. I, I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people would like to believe that just because we're back in offices, uh, or at least some of us are, and just because um, so many of us are vaccinated and just because we have kind of gone past the worst part of the pandemic that, okay, well, let's just act like everything's normal. And it's not. Um, right. I think there, right. it, being in business now in corporate America at any level or having your own business, you have to be so much more conscious of the mm-hmm. mental and emotional and psychological results of the past year and a half. And even if people look okay and they're smiling, to remember that there's still some residual trauma that so many people are going through. And so number one, as a leader, I am conscious and aware. I give people a lot more mercy because 
some crazy things that somebody says or does, mm -hmm. I try to endeavor to put it in a filter of, okay, we're in a new time, we're in a new season. There's a lot of change happening. And I recall my own story of going through so much. I really believe I weathered the past year and a half storms better because of what I went through when I was having to go work at a restaurant or when I was having to be alone in other countries where I didn't know the language and I relied mm -hmm. only on my translator and my team from New York. I think that I've been able to adapt and use strengths that were developed when I was on a story, on assignment, and all I had was that time in the hotel room by myself. And so um, being in isolation was very familiar for me because as a journalist, when you're traveling, you can feel very alone and you rely on the strengths of relationships that are virtual all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's been my whole career. So with people who I'm working with now, I, I endeavor to have much more empathy and that intentional empathy has helped carry my style of leadership. But also today I actually gave a pep talk to the team because I realized I had not really taken naps. Like for me, I don't want to take a nap. I want to work. I want to stay. I want to use mm -hmm. as many hours as I can. I want to drive and let's mm -hmm. go. And I had my first nap yesterday and I don't know how long, it felt like a year. And I told the, the people, I said, okay, I want to tell you, listen, you can um, be very proud of yourselves. We've done a lot of good stuff. I said, but I want to remind all of us to have fun because when you're doing something really new, you can get really serious and really intense and really sleep deprived. And it's not mm -hmm. cute. So um, let's have fun. We get to work in the industry that's fun. It is fun to make television. And, and they all got into this business because, I mean, most of them to have fun and do something new. And so it was just that refresh button. I think that remembering to have fun in life is one of the best keys to leadership because it takes the starch out. It's not so rigid and intense and yet it's passionate and it's joyous. So it gives you that same rush without the constriction that a stressful approach to life would be that I have to get everything perfect and I have to get everything right. Then if you don't get it right, then I'm gonna blow up on you because we put so much pressure on ourselves. That's the key. Have so much fun and just be aware that people are in a different space than they've ever been at a historic time and give a lot more grace. Absolutely. It is interesting though, because I think that even as everybody is starting to ramp back up and we're trying to meld together these different work from home or work from anywhere right. styles, or you know, you have some people who are still managing maybe kids who are working virtually or, or managing you know healthcare parents or even their own health right now that if we don't take a hot second to celebrate the wins along the way and wait until we hit that elusive benchmark, 99% of the time you're going to hit that benchmark and you're going to be like, okay, that's great. Let's keep going. And then you completely exhaust your team because they're like, well, wait, we just, <laughs> we just work so hard to even get back here. Can we not yeah. just take a second to give each other a little high five on that end? Right. Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude. We need, to, we need to give each other oxygen. I mean, it's like I saw myself resuscitating myself and others. You know, it's like put your mm -hmm. oxygen mask on first mm -hmm. when you're on the plane. You have to first remind yourself to have fun. You have to first remind yourself to celebrate and to be grateful and enjoy the journey. That thing that nobody likes to hear, but everybody hears. I know. You know? I know. Enjoy the journey. It's like, no, I want to enjoy the milestones. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Enjoy the people, enjoy the journey. 
enjoy even learning the nuances of conversation where somebody might have to have a lot more to learn about how to deal with people and you can see it. And it's like, instead of becoming defensive, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they just said that. Think, okay, this is going to teach me something for how to deal with people in the future. I am so excited to learn about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yeah, I know. And it's even handling those conversations, which you are so adept at with grace, where you figure out those phrases that are uh, even a little de-conflicting or, or, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's help me understand People love that. To be heard. So yeah. Yes. Let, listen more than talk. Yes. Well, you have been a gem and I know we're, uh, I know we're up against a timeline because you have an entire television show uh, that you're running. <laughs> so would you mind just doing a couple of fun rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. They're not some deep dive psychology test. So these are just like kind of fun go-to questions here. Uh, okay, what good. is your go-to music that you listen to when you work out? I don't work out. <laughs> At least not right now. <laughs> Do you not ever work out? No, I really don't. Um, not right now. I have been very fortunate to have a high metabolism because I've been eating a lot of McDonald's lately. But Ooh. let's go back in time to when I did work out during the pandemic. And I oh, okay, say, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> not, I mean, I know we're yeah, still in the pandemic, okay. but like, okay more the height of the pandemic because that's when i started to personally train virtually because i thought i can't just sit around and eat french fries every day so uh but i do have a good metabolism thank god um okay so i would say happy by pharrell a little bone thugs in harmony mm -hmm. um i would say like old school rap like early 2000s like every once in a while throw in something like really old school like my favorite song is um Shirley Bassey, everything's coming up roses. Interesting. Just like, yes, you'll be sweating, yeah. you'll be quick. You know, it's interesting too that you even mentioned the year 2000 is that, uh, so my kids are all uh, now 24, 22, 19, and 17 going on 18. Wow. And we spent about 11 years in Memphis during their very young formative years. So my kids are very, <laughs> they grew up listening to a lot of rap and I've got a good ear for hooks in music and in songs okay. so i can wreck a song for them in a heartbeat because i can hear <laughs> the hook and i'm like that's mary j blige or i'm like what no that's like i can throw something back or even like one direction i'm like oh that no that hook is from ynt pretty young things like in 19 and they're like no it's not and then i have to go down the spotify wormhole oh, real quick and find God. it and i'll line it up them. yes it's yes. really old school for them yeah. So it's funny, even like some, you know, a little bit of Cardi B or some Megan the Stallion stuff, I'll hear it. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that's from. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> They sampled it. it from my generation, y'all. Yes. I've taken possession of this song. Yes. So <laughs> it's how I stay relevant with them, I guess. But well, do um, you, are you excited about the Super Bowl? Yes, I can't. And honest to Pete, I have been trying to push. So again, my girls are, uh, uh, they are big rap fans and, you know, they all, we've been following even well, we've, I say we've been following like Megan Thee Stallion since she had like 5,000 followers on Instagram. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how they ever stumbled across her, but they did and the whole storyline and, and her rocket ship to success. Wow. But I literally probably six months ago asked one of my daughters about 
uh, a Mary J. Blige song. And I was like, well, you know, and I started playing the song for her and she was like, no. And I was like, how do you not know this? Like, I'm like, have I failed as a parent? How do you not know this? <laughs> so yes, when I saw the lineup come out, I was like, oh, I seriously have the Super Bowl planning committee just vindicated me. I was going to say your, your kids are going to know who Mary J. Blige is now when she performs they, at the halftime show. I know they sure will. And, and don't think for a second that I'm not going to say, see, I told you she was super important. <laughs> Hashtag relevant. Yes. Mom <laughs> things this, I know these things, trust me on this. So no, that was fun. But what is the biggest misperception of you? I don't know, because I don't know what the misperceptions, to be frank, like, I think people pleasing is so overrated. I don't really stress on that. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I'm like, that's a takeaway for me right there. Honestly, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Who plays you in a movie? Oh my gosh. Who plays me? <laughs> I'd love to act in a movie. <laughs> Your agent's like, that was the best response you could have gotten. I would love to act in a movie. Yes. Um, that would be oh. another dream. Another thing to add to the list of fun stuff that I've gotten to do with my career. Another chapter. Well, you know, once <laughs> once you get your new show totally going and rocking and, you know, up on plane, you should be able to do that. I think don't limit yourself. You know, it, it, it's like when I find out what movie I'll be in, I'll have to reach out to you or tell Joe and be like, let her know it happened. It happened for real. I know. I know. I have to know the ending to this. All right. So last quick question for you. Um, we have a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. a full tank of gas mm -hmm. and the day off. Mm -hmm. Where are we going? A hundred dollars, a full tank of gas. Where are we? Okay. I just moved to Chicago months ago. I mean, I'm brand spanking new to Chicago and I, really fell in love with the city. Uh, so I feel it at home, but I have not gone out to the suburbs. I know jack squat about the suburbs. So I would be playing Tribe Called Quest on repeat, heading to like Evanston or some lake. There's a lake somewhere out there. I just don't remember the name of it because I'm right by lake, lake Michigan. Lake Michigan? <laughs> no, I'm literally right by Lake Michigan right now. But I, um, there's another lake, I think it's in another state. It's one of the Great Lakes. I have no idea, but I've been told it's beautiful. And I would just venture out. Full tank of gas, $100. I'd find like the best hole in the wall restaurant that we could in that community, wherever we were. Um, enjoy a nice lunch and sightsee. Well, sign me up for that. Uh, ironically yeah. enough, my second daughter just moved to Chicago about a oh. month ago. My gosh. So uh, we would have to bring her and she could probably also have a pretty uh, bang and playlist. I so, bet you she would. Is this the yeah. daughter that knows about like all the hip hop, but not Mary? Okay. No, she actually, this one does know about Mary. Oh, so good. She's okay. In, she's invited to the car ride. <laughs> okay, good. I'm like, she's not disqualified then. <laughs> yeah, she's not disqualified herself. She's on our postage stamp. She can okay, make it. Good. Make good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, well, you have been such a joy. Again, your book is Your Hidden Superpower right here. Beautiful cover, by the way. You. Um, your Hidden Superpower, the kindness that makes you unbeatable at work and able to connect with anyone. So yes. if people want to get in touch with you or follow your journey, where can they find you? Go to Instagram. Uh, my handle is AB on TV. AB is my initials. 
and also my website, adrianbanker.com. You can find all the places that sell my book because it's sold everywhere. And I would love for you to tune in to News Nation's Morning in America show that's weekdays, every day, 6 to 9 Central, 7 to 10 Eastern, 4 to 7 Pacific Time, live every Monday through Friday. If you want to find your channel, go to newsnationnow.com. Click on the channel finder, put in your zip code, and you will have News Nation in your house. Newsnation.com. Newsnationnow.com. Newsnationnow.com. I knew I forgot that last word. Adrian, <laughs> you have been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. It was great to meet you. Great to meet you as well. So much fun. And thank you so much for listening this week. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you enjoyed the conversation today, I'd love if you left us a review. It takes less than 60 seconds and it really makes a difference. And I also love reading the reviews. And while you're at it, I'd love to hear from you personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, you can always find me at www.carrielorenz.com. Finally, don't forget to grab your copy of my new book, Span of Control. It's on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Target, Barnes & Noble, and of course, your favorite indie bookstore. I know it's going to be extraordinarily helpful to you on a personal level, and it can also help your family members, your friends, and the teams you lead or coach identify their priorities, focus on what matters most, and find success, even during times of chaos and uncertainty. So thank you for sharing your time with me today. I'm glad you're here.